Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast, where we talk about the technology that is forming the future of media, sports, and entertainment. Today, we're going to dive into a topic that some people like to call A1 and some people like to call AI. Uh, it is obviously the advent of uh, artificial intelligence and how it is impacting the world of sports, media, and entertainment. Uh, we have some leading luminaries in the space to come and speak to us about it. So pretty excited to get going. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our distinguished panel of guests. Uh, I'll start with Donnie White. Donnie is the CEO and co-founder of Satisfy Labs, which is a Sportsloft member company and the conversational AI platform for sports, entertainment and tourism. Donnie, welcome back to the Sportsloft podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here as always. Great to have you back. Um, and joining Donnie is a first-time uh, Sportsloft podcast guest, uh, Jamie Wild. Jamie is the head of technology and data science at Greenfly, um, which is a digital content distribution platform. Uh, and Jamie is here by virtue of um, acquisition. He was the former CTO and co-founder of um, an artificial intelligence startup called Miro, uh, which was recently acquired by Greenfly. And we'll get into what Miro does and what it's doing for Greenfly. Um, but before we get into that, Jamie, welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast. Brilliant to have you on board. Great to be here, Yanni. This is the highlight of my week so far. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and last but most definitely not least, we have Charlie Greenwood, who in the briefing notes for some reason is going by just Charlie, but that is probably because he is the grandee, the CEO, the founder, the brains, the looks, and the voice behind Sportsloft. Um, and Charlie is the one who works with all the Sportsloft members on everything from fundraising to business development and strategy. Charlie, welcome to your podcast. Well, why thank you. I'm not sure about the looks bit. That's a bit dis disconcerting. Well, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a face made for podcasting. So we're uh, we're we're in the right medium. I don't think anybody's going to agree on that. <laughs> well, let's let's start as we do every podcast. Um, uh, I ask all the guests because this is a sports uh, a sports podcast after all to share their favorite sporting moment of the week, and uh, we'll start with Donny. Yeah, I, I went, my oldest daughter moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and so I went to visit her and the Vikings, thanks for the reference, were playing the Panthers. Went to the game, I didn't get the best seats, but I wanted to be with the other Vikings fans, the away fans, you all know that from your culture as well, and they, they were getting beat, and they were getting beat pretty bad, and so then my daughter leans to me and goes, Dad, it's early, we've seen worse. <laughs> We're going to pull this out. And I was throwing things. I wouldn't even drink a beer. I was so mad. And and she just goes, it's going to be okay. And they did come back and win. And I'm like, that's my kid. Like, I was so proud of her to keep me calm. So my moment is with my daughter watching a football game on a Sunday afternoon in her new state. She left the house. All things that's good. A, that, that, that's a lot to contend with. Uh, but definitely, definitely uh, sounds like she hasn't yet been jaded by years of, uh, years of ups and downs. <laughs> She's young. She's young. Jamie, what's uh, what's your favorite sporting moment of the week? So um, mine's a little bit selfish, and um, I actually one of the sports that I do. I lived out in Asia for a long time. It's where we we started a business, and I picked up dragon boating when I was in uh, Hong Kong, and so I must have done that for about fifteen years now. Wow! And uh, last weekend was the British National Dragon Boating Championships which is all of the, the teams in the UK come together in Nottingham for a weekend. And if anyone's been to Nottingham, it's absolutely a lovely place and in no way cold and wet. <laughs> so um, had an interesting weekend, but it was really nice to, to reconnect with um, a lot of people that I used to paddle with in Hong Kong who moved over here and a lot of new paddlers I've met over the last year. And so the chance to compete at that level was amazing. So that was kind of uh that was the highlight of my sporting week i don't leave us hanging how'd but you guys also, do also the the guy in the Ryder cup uh who fell in the lake <laughs> i know how he feels because i spent a lot of time in some very stinky sports water last weekend <laughs> that was quite a that was quite a moment wasn't it so so how'd you guys do um we need improvement <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think we pulled it out at the ends and uh we we managed the first place but not in the top final so 
work to be done. Dragon boating, actually far more difficult than it looks on television. Extremely, uh, extremely tricky. It, it looks sorry. like unmanaged crazy, but it's supposed to be quite managed crazy. And so we need to go. work on that. And do you have, do you have the full on setup with the drums and everything? Got the drummer, big paddles. Yeah. Big the head, the dragon's heads on the front, the back of the boat. Yeah. It's, uh, well, not, Nottingham is, as we've established, uh, not in the north. It's in the Midlands. And Charlie is actually joining us from the Midlands, uh, from Wolverhampton. So, Charlie, what's your favorite sporting moment of the week? Well, after that introduction, Yanni, I think it's going to be a little bit predictable. So, being a Wolves fan, uh, looting away, what, a couple of weeks ago, we managed to eke out a draw and... Uh, in, against the bottom of the league team in the Premier League. Promptly then play Ipswich, who put out their reserves team, and we managed to lose from 2-0 up and uh, lose 3-2. And then in the most Wolves thing ever, we managed to basically beat the best team in Europe in Man City at home. So we go from eking out a, a, an awful draw, losing to Ipswich in, uh, against their reserves, and then beating Man City. So... Uh, there was an awful lot of excited refreshing of Twitter on Saturday afternoon as I was desperately trying to follow it and desperately willing you no know, great Man City comebacks in the second half. So uh, there was a lot of excitement around that. Sounds like sounds like Donnie's daughter could do with a week of Wolves football just to kind of temper her enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd take beating City though. That will do me nicely. Uh, there, there are certainly several people listening to this podcast who, are, who will scarcely believe that outcome. So <laughs> let's let's dive into the world of um, artificial intelligence. Particularly excited to to discuss it with you guys because of um, because of the background and and the expertise. Um, uh, before we get into the credentials and 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 have Donnie and uh, Jamie kind of tell us about what their businesses do with AI and how they see AI helping the sports industry, Charlie, give us just a little bit of a snapshot of kind of where artificial intelligence is currently in the sports uh, in the sports world and 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 how it's how it's being used well that's uh, I'll, I'll give the introduction piece i think uh, somebody um uh made the analogy of uh, teenage sex around ai which i think is still uh, very very apt well everybody claims they're doing it but nobody actually is basically is uh, was the was the summation of it which seems pretty pretty true I think it's one of those things where, you know, whether you're looking at um, from a teams and a rights holders perspective, yeah, yeah, we've got to have an AI strategy. From a startup strategy, startups perspective, there's always the AI slide that's in there, especially on the investors deck. The reality is, I think that actually we're at such an early stage in terms of the adoption uh, or in, t in terms of people's understanding of it, that the use cases are still massively being developed and people are still trying to work out you know where the you know the best ways the most impactful ways of using it are but people are starting to see that and that's where i think people um where it's getting exciting because then people are going okay this really can have an impact in terms of the way that we're operating the business so i would say that it's a a bit where the potential is is huge it's starting to be understood but the actual point of realizing that potential we're still at the earliest stages and it's uh, it's fascinating isn't it i mean jamie you guys um uh, founded miro uh, which was uh which is an artificial intelligence company and, and kind of fits very nicely with the thesis of greenfly which is to make content available immediately to uh, the wider ecosystem of of leagues teams and players in order to be able to share and distribute as, as quickly as possible when did you guys see the um, opportunity and how did you go about developing it in order to build Miro and just describe a little bit about what it does so that we can we can kind of understand the application. Sure, I hope, hope you've got an hour for this lecture. <laughs> um, we started Miro back in 2017 and the first problem we really tried to solve uh, using computer vision as we called it back then uh, was finding runners in uh, photos from marathons, 5K running races, basically. Everybody's wearing a bib on their chest. That bib has a big number on it. Can we get a computer to read this number? And so that was the first uh, process that we built out. We built that out using what I'd say called 
traditional computer vision, which is not a machine learning approach, but is more an approach of uh, looking for particular, very particular patterns. Um, and we did build something that would work uh, on that space and would be able to to handle 100,000 photos in a weekend instead of taking two weeks uh, the way that humans would. Um, but that was a process that really didn't scale. And we had to train uh, classifiers for every single bib design that we ever came across. And uh, things were very hectic back there. And there's a lot of human annotation going in. I think our accuracy rate uh, on finding bibs was about 30%, uh, which means two-thirds of everything we did, we had to throw away. And it was very hectic. And... What we actually came to AI and machine learning, it used to be called machine learning, now it's called AI. But we came to machine learning really as a way of trying to improve on that iterative process. So we didn't set out to form an AI company, um, but we found that AI was a really powerful tool to do what we wanted to do. And scale has been really important to us pretty much from the very uh, creation of the business was what can we do at scale? So everything we do, we have to be able to do to 10,000 times, a million times in some cases in a weekend. And AI allowed us to basically take that 0.3% or 30% accuracy up to about 95, 98% accuracy on finding bibs and uh, running events. And once we built that muscle, being able to sort of train those models, we started to look at other sports um, and take what we knew there into team sports. And in some ways, the challenges there are, are different, but some of them are kind of similar. And so we've really been able to, to leverage, particularly vision AI, in a way of um, building out these processes to handle photos and now videos at a pretty large scale. And as you know, in the sports industry, scale scales get pretty big, particularly at large events, you're talking hundreds hundreds of thousands of photos in some of our running events we've got chicago marathon coming up this weekend it'll probably be about two and a half million photos so wow i've got a job coming up this weekend <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, donnie you guys have also been at the forefront of this um satisfy was was launched as a conversational um, AI platform well before anybody, you know, in generative AI, well before anybody had heard of ChatGPT or, you know, GPT or anything even remotely similar. Um, how, to, 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 you know, at Jamie's point, how have you guys used that technology in order to be able to um, uh, iterate the interactions with the fans and how much of the input is human and then how f at what point can the machines take over and be able to uh, learn what they need to learn of their own accord? First of all, <clears throat> I have three teenage daughters, including the one that I mentioned. So I am totally shook by Charlie bringing these two things together, which is the <laughs> term he used, which I won't repeat, and my business. <laughs> so I'm like literally... I'm like a mess. I mean, A1 makes sense to me. Uh, when, you know, back, I like how Jamie started is, is how, you know, any good company starts. What problem are you trying to solve? And so we believed in a search engine for live events. And we thought that if you could create the information in an accessible way that a fan could understand what's around them, what activities they could do, how they could get better tickets you know, to a match or game, then it would increase revenue and fans would be more satisfied, pun intended. Uh, it started really early. We actually started with buttons. We literally created a web view and it was a pre-written question. You would punch the button like, how can I get, a you know, this kind of beer? Or how can I get a better ticket? Or how can I do this? And then as we started getting into, this is 2016, we started looking working with companies like IBM and others to test some of their models and ended up building our own because the NLPs that we saw weren't sufficient for the use case. So we built our own natural language processor. Uh, when Google invested in the company later, we thought we're a tiny bit smarter than our wives told us we were. So that's a low bar, like fifth grade is probably where we were at. And then now with the tools available, we've launched two patents, not just on our own technology, but how our technology interacts with 
the GPTs and, and the Bards and, you know, Amazon's investment seems to be right down the fairway too. So now the fan goes from a button to maybe a keyword to now a multi-intent, we'll call it query or request. And now we can fulfill at the highest level and we could fulfill at a faster level than your best employee can in many cases. We could talk about use cases, but it now head to head is winning. Uh, which wasn't the case a year ago. Mm. And how, I mean, the whole point with ChatGPT, right, and what people are always saying is that it is only as good as the query that you give it. So the the people who seem to be winning at it are the people who think through how they write the queries. But that is not 99% of fans, right? 99% of fans are probably, you know, like our wives say, um, at best fifth grade intelligence. So... um, how how do you continually correct for that and try to uh, try to get the best results? The data is by far the most important asset I think that we have. So we've got eighty five million unique fan questions over the previous years, including COVID, where the literally fifty percent of the queries asked then were new after building up a five-year database. Imagine you built a five-year database and then in one year you get 50% new concepts. I'd also say that people are overplaying, in some cases, the ChatGPT use case. We think about 40% of our inputs, fan questions, don't need a generative answer. Like if we identify you want to buy a ticket or buy food or buy a thing, I don't need to generate an answer to you. I need to transact. Mm. Or what if I understand that you want to become a season ticket holder? I might want to engage a person right now that could sell it to you. So when, when people get into AI, I think the biggest challenge is something gets magic. We just had a client ask us to, um, if someone walks into like the stadium or whatever, I want you to help them build an itinerary of all the food they're going to eat and help them get online, how short or long are all the lines, show them the optimum path to their seat, make sure they understand the score, show them where they're parking. And the list is going all the way down. I'm like, okay, so where's all the data to help us build this? And they go, oh, it's AI. And I go, oh, it's, it's magic. Like Mickey Mouse comes down and like builds this whole thing. So there is a little bit of a halo effect on the tech, but our data and understanding and the client's data in supplying are the two biggest things about the future. And data obviously seems to be tremendously important, right? And Jamie, you guys will have worked with tons and tons of data, whether it's photos or, um, uh, like you say, uh, uh, vision technology to identify certain patterns. Or How do you correct and make sure that that data is good enough to get the outputs that you want? Uh, what, what level of certainty do you have now that you're – um, machines have learned to identify a player or an action specifically and get it right every time? Well, it never gets it right every time. Um, just like people, uh, mistakes are made. Um, we've been very lucky because we're working with organizations like teams and leagues who already have a huge cache of data. And a lot of that data is, to a greater or lesser extent, already annotated. And so that really gives us a head start when we're moving forwards. Uh, with training models. Um, so the, the nature of training uh, vision models is that you do want a lot of variation in there. You actually want some badly labeled data. It actually makes the model a lot more resilient. Um, it's, it is possible to overtrain. Um, and so what, what we find is that we, we try and get in there with uh, the simplest model with the fewest number of classes that we can to start delivering something that's actionable for clients and then based on the outcome of that we will constantly build and retrain and we found that that iterative model has really helped us to um to make things things that really respond to what the client actually needs rather than what they originally asked you for (laughs) and has really um has really shown a lot of strength particularly once you've annotated some data for a particular use case, you can find that you use that across um, several other use cases and, and models that you want to train as well. So really that library of data and being able to add to it and gain more understanding about it um, has really been a big strength for us. So I will say there is a, a large component of people annotating images and videos to tell you what's happening in them. 
for sure. So the, mm. there's still a, a big uh, humor component out there. And to, to kind of help the listeners really uh, understand, why don't you describe um, kind of what Moreau helps Greenfly to do, has helped Greenfly to do before the acquisition and now what the acquisition has been brought on board to do and kind of how that then gets translated to the service that Greenfly provides to its, to its clients in the sports industry? So, yeah. So what, what we do really is we try and help them understand what the media that they're ingesting is, uh, understand the, the content of it. Um, so what kind of a scene is it? What kind of a sport is it? And then understand who are the actual individual athletes that are pictured uh, or present in that media. And the, the goal is to do that as fast and seamlessly as, as possible. Sometimes if you have a very complex scene that the system isn't confident about, it will go to an actual human QA uh, specialist that we have. So we have a small team who are you know, highly trained in almost every sport now. Uh, they didn't realize that, that, that they were going to do that at the beginning. They all thought it was all basketball and they loved it. Uh, but now they're really <laughs> into American football. And so what we try and do is give more context and more understanding about every piece of media. And so with that knowledge, then that all feeds into the workflows that they can have within the Greenfly products or other digital asset management products. So Greenfly, they're able to take in just a whole bucket of media and then filter out for, I want these particular athletes. I want this athlete to be prominent. When that athlete is prominent and this is a scene that we, we think is game footage, then I'm going to push that out to them automatically and they can share it. And it, it makes those whole workflows work more seamlessly and more quickly because speed is of the essence, um, particularly in sports. Everything is very, very timely. Are, are you able to share uh, kind of how accurate it is, like how often it goes out correctly without needing to go through that QA, QA process? Um, it really depends on the kind of content. For photos, we're probably only QAing about 5%. Uh, for video at the moment, that's something that we're really trying to ramp up our, our knowledge base on. Um, it's probably more like 20%. Okay. But it's it's very much down to you know the, the kind of content we get. If you get NFL where you've got 20 guys who are all wearing effectively body armor mm. <laughs> clashing in the middle of a field, it's a lot more difficult to really break that scene up and figure out what's happening than if, say, you've got... Um, Scenes from basketball or even golf. Golf would be my favorite. It's, mm. it's incredibly easy yeah. to undertake golf. <laughs> <laughs> One person in different different outfits as well. So, Charlie, to to throw your analogy back at you, the one that that literally had Donnie choking uh, behind his muted mic at the time. Um, if if this is if this is high school, you know, we're we're in with the cool teenagers who are actually having sex i guess um but then it's in the hands of it's in the hands of the of the providers the experts right the people who are working with machine learning who've been working with with artificial intelligence who are using it for very particular and practical application that translates to the sports industry to rights holders but also potentially beyond when it comes to the actual um sports industry itself the rights holders who has their head screwed on right? Who's understanding how they need to use it or, or, or where AI is going to provide a short-term solutions and taking kind of a long-term vision as to where it could fit in to help out? Okay, so at the moment, I think most of the use cases you're seeing are really in some way related to issues around scale. So whether on the pitch or indeed off it, it's, there are instances where you have a mass of data or a number of actions that really couldn't be possibly done in, in a remotely efficient way by a human. So that generally at the moment means things like creating highlights. So give me the goals scored this weekend in the Premier League by a French or a Mexican or a Spanish or an American player that I can then send to international fans from those respective countries. Or the kind of instances of personalisation. So based upon my individual profile, how does the content data and experience change on a website or an app for me versus something else? I guess it kind of sounds a bit predictable, but if you look at sports organisations that are leading in areas such as it, using AI in both things like content and personalisation, I think really you'd, you'd have to pick the NBA. Um, I was at their Launchpad programme event during the Summer League in Vegas this year and 
the way they were talking about and thinking about new technologies and AI in particular was extremely impressive. Um, but then I think also longer term, it's really interesting to think about how AI will change both business models and the way that we interact with information. So just to big Donny up for a moment, if you look at how some of Satisfy's clients are implementing AI, it starts to really give us a glimpse about how we might really find information and work with content going forward. So taking one of their clients, such as um, I, know, I went on the SE, SSE Arena uh, website in Belfast uh, earlier, you go on the website and you ask, where can I park? It gives me the answer. I don't have to navigate through five or six clicks or different layers of the website in order to find the information. So when I was doing that, I kind of realized that the website at that point is just really a background to a chat conversation that I'm using to get the information I need. So all the thinking that goes into things like website structure starts to really become a bit redundant if I can just go and ask a question. And I think that becomes even more impactful when you think about how people are increasingly using uh, sort of real language sentences to search for questions on, on Google. Or when we're talking about looking for content on mobile, it's the power of the AI that then enables you to just get the answer straight back that I think is uh, has huge ramifications for going forward. And and to that point, and talking about one of Donnie's um, uh, investors, Google, you know, the the it, it, it kind of feels um, uh, from from a distance that even the big boys are kind of starting to feel it out and figure it out. So Google's got Bard, obviously OpenAI launched ChatGPT, Amazon are, are are developing. Donnie, do do you see more fragmentation or more startups and more development happening before some inevitable consolidation? Or, you know, do you think that there's enough um, in the AI sort of field in general before you dive into the specifics of sports uh, and its applications? Um, to uh, to kind of justify more and more for a while until you start to get more consolidation in the industry. Yeah, I mean, we lucky enough. I mean, my my business partner is brilliant, and so we had talked years ago about building a platform that could handle multiple AI services. That's actually what the first patent was about, because we theorized that there would be no potential winner. I mean, you could argue Apple and Google have phones. And each has its own market and, and preferences. I've actually gone back and forth on that in my history. And so to see e even the Google models and, and ChatGPT are different. So you're also going to want to ask yourself, do you want to commit to one as a company? Like very similar to some of us have Macs, some of us have PCs. So most of our history and technology means there should be more than one big player. And you want to get the best of both worlds if you can. So we, we kind of see this as uh, eventually the big, you know, include Apple at some point in that conversation. There's going to be like a computer farm business where each of these models are either giving you a piece to build your own model or you're white labeling their model. So we think that in the next couple of years, each team could in theory have their own LLM that they've constructed from either pieces with some proprietary formation. And that's the tech that we're working on right now. To provide that to them, and LLM just for everybody's benefit, not least of which is mine, is large language model. Do you know if you want GPT is generative pre-trained transformer? It's a good cocktail party thing to make someone. Hey, do you know what GPT stands for? And you'll see this ghost face. Ge gen gen generative pre-trained transformer. Pre-trained transformer, like Optimus Prime. You know. Right. Right. Got it. And Bumblebee was my favorite. So. Yes, yeah, oh, you look like a Bumblebee guy. Actually, Charlie was probably the inappropriate, you know, yeah. one of them. Well, he's the one making the Transformer jokes, Transformer <laughs> sex jokes in the background. <laughs> um, so, uh, look at looking at that then, and and kind of the the, the general um, uh, the general lie of the land in the industry. And uh, Jamie, you went through this recently. You guys were were acquired um, by a company that operates in the in the sports and entertainment industry. Did you have any uh, approaches from uh, sort of the big tech or the or the uh, uh, big organizations looking at what you guys were doing and uh, either looking to partner or or acquire? So we we have had conversations like that in the past. Um, I find that for for a lot of AI machine learning companies, the pandemic was fantastic. 
if you're predominantly mm -hmm. focused on in-person sports events, it was not so great. Because <laughs> <laughs> we woke up and suddenly there was no business for 18 months. Um, so that really, you know, that really forced the team to uh, uh, to hunker down, and that's actually where we built out or everything that that we put together for team sports and individual sports was uh, done over the pandemic. We kind of had this almost downtime, and we 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 you know we did have to tighten up the team, and it was a very difficult time. Um, and then once we we found this momentum within team sports, uh, things really did did sort of move very quickly. Um, we'd been working with Greenfly for a couple of years uh, before that, like helping them uh, as in with the understanding of uh, some of their clients' data and you know automating some of those processes. And it felt like a really good fit. So uh, for us, we, we really wanted to sort of stay in that space and, and continue to build out um, those products with the team that we had. It was, that was very important to us. Fascinated by this, Donnie, you made a, an extremely good point around this uh, at the Sportsloft Showcase um, uh, a few months ago. Um, but, you know, it, it, AI, what's the reality for uh, a sports team or a sports organization in the short term in terms of the impact that AI is going to have on the, on the human personnel? Um, and where do you think that can go over time? I'll give you a statistic. We launched with a entertainment brand that claimed an ROI of almost a million dollars in labor savings. So the same work achieved with AI agents and a reduction in human agents. So the, I mean, even, even most of my, my storytelling is about the future of the org chart and it's AI sitting next to employees in certain functions and departments. Any role or job, and, and Jamie and I have different approaches, which I'm glad you're characterizing. We're in the conversational space, so that's our, our space. Mm -hmm. Anytime there is a dialogue or transfer of information in a Q&A or input scenario, AI will be a superior solution to that end. Not, not as good. I'm talking superior. And so when you want to think about where to focus your human resources, it's going to be on elevating experiences, VIP experiences, high revenue opportunities, even care, like in the, you know, like the accessibility space, I think is a, is a massive understaffed space where AI can do some things with vision and, and obviously with hearing and make certain things accessible. But when they come to your event, not a whole lot AI is going to do when a person can make a real difference to someone that wants to exp experience that live. So you're going to see a shift in labor demand and skill sets. And, and on the one side, people always talk about the job loss and transference that's going to happen. One of our top, top engineers right now is a linguistics major. She's not a math major because the technical skills are going to shift from some of the coding, which now, by the way, the AI is starting to do too, but into like, how do I make this model to the right output that is the expectation that we want? How do I make this model not just answer the query, but suggest the right path to maximize the experience. And her name is Isabel and she's fantastic. She had an academic career, but she can tame and control these models like, candidly, not many others can, I think, in the country. And so you're gonna see the job shift from information tasks, which is gonna go away, but a new rise of how to manage this technology internally is going to come about from places you don't expect. It's not the mathematician MIT people all the time. So you're going to have to relook at your talent stack and see where people fit in the next two two years. I tell you. So Donnie, let let me just ask you on that. Like as a startup, and you're trying to hire the right skills within an AI-based startup. How do you compete with like you know? the Googles, the Microsofts, the OpenAIs, people like that. I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other night and somebody reckoned that OpenAI had a hiring budget of like 1.2 billion. Like, how as a startup do you, do you compete with that? I don't let them read the news. No one's allowed to read <laughs> anything. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a challenge. I can tell you right now, our retention rate 
since COVID, I think we've lost one, you know, and that's in COVID, like as far as a, you know, employee that, um, left. <laughs> so you have to create a culture and environment that whatever staff you're bringing on feel more empowered and more both enjoyment from the stimulation as well as the learning, which is greater than those companies. Cause there are, I can tell you my entire team could be, should be poached by some of those places, but their exposure to the tech, their ability to do something that is now going to an Orlando magic fan the next day and doesn't have five levels of politics or, or hierarchy to run through. So as a startup, you have to take advantage of your opportunity to accelerate people's careers, but then you have to work hard to reward them as much as you can financially, both with cash and with stock. So they participate in the upside. So a lot of our core team, whenever our company should exit, has an incentive to be a part of that, not just for their personal reward, but there's also there's also a financial one embedded. But it's not easy. And every day we focus a lot of our time, we have an HR person on staff on culture, job satisfaction, career development. Like we spend a lot of time on that because it is it is a challenge. And Jamie, you guys have gone through this just recently with the Greenfly acquisition, right? Existing company, there is a culture there. Um, you know, you guys are fully remote. They get they 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 have remote working, but they have uh, headquarters in the U.S. as well. How have you found that transition and integration and kind of fitting together uh, with with uh, with the uh, existing tech companies as Greenfly? I'd say thus far, touch wood, uh, it's been amazing. I mean, it's been. Uh, really slotting together and, and bringing the teams together has been uh, a really rewarding experience. I think that together we can do more and sort of just to echo what, what Donnie was saying, I mean, hiring and retention is, is really difficult in this business. Um, we've been very lucky uh, since COVID. We haven't had anybody leave. Uh, we had one person leaving COVID and that was, uh, she was relocating and, um, uh, she's actually moved to London, so I saw her last week. She's doing really well. Um, so yeah, re- retention is 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 a key challenge. Um, I've found we really play up the sports side uh, when we're hiring and when we're bringing people on board. Um, we get people who are really interested, like that. That's what gets them out of bed in the morning, and we enable them to share in that. And you know, we we do cool stuff. We spend probably about 10 to 15% of everybody's time is doing those sort of Google style side projects. But let's, we've got all this data, we've got all, all these models. What, what else can we do with them? Let's, let's do something uh, a little bit out of the box and see what we can bring together. And I think trying to keep people motivated like that uh, is key. When you're a startup, you don't always have the biggest budgets. You can't just throw money at the problem. But you are doing interesting things. We're working with really interesting partners. You're working with teams and leagues that I never thought that I would ever get a chance to work with. Um, maybe that's better than being trapped in a cubicle in uh, in San Mateo, potentially. And so for, for us, I found that, that Greenfly is, is a very remote-friendly business. They don't just say it, they live it. Um, and I was connected with uh, the whole EMAI team this morning and then this like later on today i'm going to do a call with with the u.s team so i really feel like uh definitely me and our team it was only a small team uh miro we were i think 10 people when we when we came in but uh, everybody's been really welcoming and definitely the cultural fit thus far has been amazing so uh, so actually jamie can i just jump in because i i think what you raised there is like super interesting like this high whole idea and there's a debate I was um, listening to the other day as to whether, you know, whether the incumbents are actually going to be most successful when it comes to AI, because the big companies, they've got the data sets, they've got the, the massive resources. But actually, startups have generally been more successful when they've been able to be nimble, move faster, bring a different culture. Do you think that that still holds true in AI in an AI sort of sense now when you've got the incumbents with the big data or do you think actually it's, it's changing? I, th- I think bit? it's as true as it ever was, uh, which is to say uh, the the companies that are worth most in this world now are all technology companies. 
right? Apple is worth, what, two and a half, three trillion dollars. We never saw uh, an oil company worth, you know, that kind of figure even just did for inflation. So who's benefited from the internet boom? I mean, it's it's launched a thousand flowers, but but you can see where a lot of those returns have, have sort of come back. And I think there are aspects to AI where having that those kind of resources are really key. Right? Large language models, something like ChatGPT, it's very difficult to build that if you're a, a small startup who's just getting going. And you can see the amount of investment that's gone into OpenAI uh, to make that happen. But there's there's still a huge world out there that's that's still waiting to be to be explored. And if if your startup's uh, business model is I'm going to compete with Google and outcompete them, you're probably uh, going to find that to be very difficult. But there there are many different ways that you can take AI. Um, and bring it to a, to a new space and try and do something different. That um, I really think there's a lot of opportunity. Or you, you end up doing what Donnie did and just put them on the board. <laughs> I, I bet the the point that's, that's another option. Yeah. You go out. Sometimes you have to go that way. I think sport, though, specifically, is a non-focused area. Like there are 1,000 conversational AI companies just in the U.S. We have 250 clubs. The next one has six, I think, maybe seven. I mean, it's not even, it's not even close. And so, why is that? Because sometimes when you're big tech, you're focused on the three million, four million, five million that you can get. There's 300 professional sports teams in the U.S. 153 in major and over actually 150. Let's call it 350, if you include minors. So the fan, the ticketing. Those experiences, even even the image use cases, are different than retail, hospitality, you know, finance, all those industries. So I have found that I think startups actually focused on sport, who then, like us, we expanded into tourism. But if you solve the sports use case, it's unlikely a big tech company is also going to be able to do that unless they invest the same time, effort, and almost religion into that market so it is i i'm shocked that to this day we still have the client our client retention is 95 percent seven years and so it's hard it's not like there aren't smarter people than us (laughs) out there but when they get in they learn oh wait you have to get a ticket and wait there's also food there and you have to park something wait what's this what's a premium experience what do you mean there's a supporter section like all these things are not concepts in other businesses. So it is quite unique sport. And I think startups do well here. And it, in, in terms of kind of attracting talent and keeping talent, you guys both talked about it. You know, you're working with cool clients, you're working in a cool industry. And that kind of means that people enjoy it more than being in a cubicle in San Mateo, you know, not, 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 not to fire shots. But um, I, I guess a question for both of you, the, the, the perception uh, or the, the, the kind of standard thought is that uh, uh, an AI engineer or software engineer is generally not necessarily very closely aligned in the Venn diagram with that of a sports fan. So do you find kind of the outliers who are sports fans or is it the con is, is that they kind of come in and find enjoyment in it compared to doing something else? What's your what's your experience been? Uh, engineers, I'd say, are probably the least understanding of the impact of the market. My partner, doubtful if he knows what season is active right now. Like, he's he's unsure. And he asked me the other day, like, what the name of the Minnesota team was. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you got to be kidding which, me. Which one? Yeah. So he, so I think what what is cool, though, is our account managers and our, our client success people, all of the, most of those come from industry because they've either... They were a former client, and then after they leave the client, they'll call, or they're coming out of a master's in sports program, or, or what have you. But what the engineers love is their code reaching a million people on a Sunday. Like mm-hmm. that's, So it's, it's not just the, oh my goodness, the New York Mets are using this, that sounds cool, but when they see the fan numbers, and then they see the press release, and then they see all the aura of the sport industry, the developers get 
very excited. And so I, I like Jamie's point. I should have made that one myself, which is this industry is on such a pedestal of brand that it's different when you're working with you know whatever your football club is versus X number of restaurants or X number of hotels. It's just different. So I, I do agree. They I do probably retain a lot of people because they get that exposure. We've been lucky enough that quite a lot of our tech team are also really into sport, but um, it's it's definitely been a help for us in recruitment. I mean, we have, we I will I will get people sending me their CV uh, through email, um, who are saying, oh, I I heard about you working with this team, and I really want to, you know, I really want to work with that. I've been a fan for years, and so we're we're hiring right now. If anyone <laughs> wants to look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, CV's very welcome. Uh, but our data science team in, in particular, um, they're really big on sports. And it, uh, it it's amazing to me the, the things that I didn't even know about <laughs> soccer, which is the sport I know most about, <laughs> that, um, that this team knows. And our annotation team, they're really across now eight or ten different sports that they're seriously annotating on. And so nobody can be across everything, but we've we've got a really good uh, sort of variety uh, in our team, both technical and and non-technical. And it's um, it's definitely been a help for us hiring, and we really want to try and keep that culture going as long as possible. We'll make sure we put your LinkedIn in the podcast description so that people can connect with you and apply. <laughs> um, but we'll start to we'll start to wrap up slowly, Charlie. I know you got a, I know you got a question, so I'll let you ask it in a second. But as we close, I'd like everybody to think a little bit. Not Don't do the crystal ball and kind of say where AI is going to be applied in the sports industry going forwards. I find that to be quite interesting, but, you know, a dull question. What I'd rather hear from you is where you would like to see AI applied um, in, a, in, a, in a more creative or a more interesting manner and what the output will be for the fan or the rights holder or what the, what the, what the result will be. Where would you like to see it applied? So think about that while Charlie asks his uh, his his question. <laughs> Actually, no, I just wanted to go back to something that you both kept, both Donnie and Jamie alluded to uh, before, which was talking about like the the data sets and the breadth of it, but specifically within the sports industry. How able is it our models on the data sets to sort of take things that might have been learned from one NFL team where they've got a very specific stadium or fan base and then apply, apply that to another NFL team or to take it from NFL and apply it into soccer or into tennis or golf when the sports are quite different. Like, How much can the learnings be applied from one sport into another uh, sport? Tremendously. We actually have a patent on this, which is we tier the data into four rows and so one to think of it like hey what's globally true of every use case i want to buy a ticket always means i want to buy a ticket or how do i get a ticket always means i want to buy a ticket but then let's break it down to sport versus something in tourism where sport you get a seat uh in ski it's a lift in a zoo it's access right and then you go into the actual sport so football american football has a 50 yard line whereas international football has a supporter section. So as you, so you, you actually have to tier the data and then share what's relevant only. And then at some point, there's data that's only local to that team that shouldn't be shared because it'll mess up the other models. So what you're starting to see is the LLMs are gonna do a really good job in some of the larger use cases when it gets down to the individual team promotion or like um, I was just at an event where, or I was at a customer where their events are named after beverages. They have like the Coke event or they have the Budweiser event. Where, when is Budweiser is a great example where an LLM goes, what? <laughs> what does time have to do with beer? So there is a stacking mechanism, but that is a great point because there is things that you need to be able to do at the local client individual event level that is not really suited for this large AI modeling. Jamie, how does it work from sport to sport for image recognition and video? I mean, I'd, I'd imagine it's it's relatively different, but, you know. There, there's a lot of things that can be uh, they shared around. I mean, a lot of 
the a lot of the media that we deal with isn't even in game. So you have people arriving at the venue, you have changing rooms. All these things are very similar across many different sports. And um, it is actually key for us to be able to identify those moments. Uh, everybody will focus in on, oh, it's all about, you know, the five minutes of action inside the game. Well, that was 2% of the media. And the other 98% of the media that we we need to be able to process was other parts of the game, but also pre-game, post-game, warm-ups, in the tunnel coming out and the teams want access to all that media. They want it annotated and they want it quickly. And so a lot of that can be transferred straight across um, to different sports. And then uh, as Donnie said, we also training up very, very specific detections. So specific stadiums we can detect and understand which stadium this is in. Um, ideally you get the GPS coordinates, but not every time. And so having those kind of very fine granular models and what you really, it's like a pyramid and I'm starting out at the bottom of that pyramid with the things that are very generic and I'm training those. And a lot of those I can get, not even training myself, but transfer learning from, from other models that we're able to build upon. And so for us, it's uh, building those data sets out, refining those data sets and being able to get to the tip of that pyramid as fast as possible for a new sport. So now it, it takes us probably a week or two to bring in a new sport and a model, whereas previously it was potentially months and a lot of annotation work. The power, the power of, of machine learning, right? And, and good data sets. So doing things repetitively over and over again, the computer is really good at. Yep. Yep. Much, much better than humans for sure. Uh, so in, in that context, and just before we sign off, uh, I'll start with you, Charlie. Uh, to give you the least amount of time to think, what applications would you love to see in the sports industry for AI and machine learning? And this could be tomorrow or it could be 20 years in the future. Okay, so I guess I'm going to pick two areas. Um, the first is I think there's a huge opportunity for AI in, in fantasy sports. You know, with the almost infinite number of permutations around the players you've selected for your team, how they got on each week and you know, the content that gets captured about them with uh, highlight clips and stuff, it almost feels as a, as if it's been built for AI uh, in that sort of sense. And if I look at the emails that I get about my Fantasy League team at the moment, they just tend to be very generic. They're talking about which players are performing well in the league as a whole, which players could be a good pick. Sure, there's some stuff comparing my stats to others, but generally it's all really broad. What I'd really like to see is a video clip showing each of the players in my team with their goals, their assists, the sendings off, uh, you know, the things that made a difference them scoring points or not scoring points. I think that would be uh, would be really cool, and I think it'd be a, a great use case of uh, of AI. The other one I'd actually pick is grassroots sports, and in particular, managing uh, managing a grassroots team. If you're managing a team or if you're a parent trying to manage your kids' sports, it's just a pain at the moment. Who's available? Where's the match? What time they got to be there? All of that sort of stuff. There are so many variables to contend with. Uh, and with millions of managers and parents trying to do the same thing, it's kind of the absolute definition of a, an issue with scale. And if you compare that with the current apps for managing teams, just I think just being a bit rubbish. What I really want to see is an AI capability for managing my kids' sport because that would make my life a huge lot easier. Donnie, what would you like to see? Yeah, I mean, it's something we're working on and getting a lot of feedback on. We call our, our current product, we call them assistants, which means like it's, it's pretty inbound. Like you come to the event, you come to the website, you come to whatever, and it's there for you. We have a prototype of something where you send this agent we'll call it an agent out on a task driven job for you which might not be solved today it could be solved in two three weeks from now so an example would be like hey i'm, I'm i want to go to a wolves game uh, on a saturday with my family of four in the next three months and i'm willing to pay x amount for those tickets let me know when my criteria is met and buy the tickets for me because we can do transactions right now when you come into the chat so you could create these think of it as agent subscriptions where whether it be information or a purchase or some kind of future itinerary event but you are subscribing to all these workers for you kind of like what charlie referred to earlier 
that are just not they're proactive. And so rather than you looking at the website and refreshing and hoping you get this email, what's good is the brand, the team starts to see a demand curve of what Charlie and his family are willing to pay and what Jamie and his family are willing to pay should he want to go to that match. And then as they look out, they go, oh, so let's get smarter about both sides, the supply side and demand side. So I'm, I'm excited about that application. In order to get to that, we have to solve the current uh, trust. I don't call them trust issues because they're, they're warranted, but the current trust with the inbound will make it more applied to that outbound use case. Mm. So we're in that middle ground right now, but that's what we're working on for uh, 2024. That sounds fascinating. Jamie? Oh, I'm just thinking about how much you'd have to pay me to go to a Wolves game. <laughs> uh, I would learn. I don't know where that, that curve intersects. It would be great. I think, I think for me, um, what I'd really like to see is a bit of a potted answer. But um, at the head of the show, I, I was talking about going to the, the Dragon Ball Championship. So it, it's really about democratizing some of the... Uh, democratizing media and access to media and information. So Dragon Boeing is not a tier one sport. It's not even a tier two sport. And really I like to, I think that AI can unlock the, you know, the power for people with and sports and agencies without huge budgets to be able to create compelling content and really share and distribute that content. Um, sounds like I'm doing the green flight pitch here, but I, I really do believe that AI can, it, it answers questions that that people, you know, are, are unable to answer right now. And I would love to be able to see the, the Dragon Ball races being able to put together highlight reels, you know, with mm. just a team of one person. You've got remote cameras, you've got GoPros. What can I put together there? Um, the races that I was at, a lot of the timing and scoring is done using uh, post-it notes and pens and paper. And mm. I mean, that's not even AI. That's just, uh, hey, guys, can you Basic use Basic technology. <laughs> but really, you know, I think AI has the, has the, the potential to, to really open up what used to be Premier League level stuff all the way down the bottom and, and allow teams to really grow themselves and own their own social media profiles and create their own compelling content and do so at a budget that really can work for them. Mm. And so that's what I'm excited to see how AI works, not just for Manchester United, but, you know, also all the way down to uh, lower league teams like Wolves. Ow. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. <laughs> Lots of shots fired on this podcast. Yeah. I like it. Um, for my part, for what it's worth, I'm I'm fascinated about the the application of um, AI into decision making around sports uh, and and kind of uh, almost not not just on the roster building in the way that kind of you know you talk about Moneyball and Billy Bean and kind of you know the the valuation of underappreciated um, uh, capabilities, but um, actually this scenario requires based on this the team that we have requires this move and you know i could see you're probably not going to see it in in um, you know you see it already in chess and backgammon and games like that you know ai taking on the top athletes in the world but it'd be fascinating to see it in kind of like a minor league baseball team right where you say okay pitching changes shifts even though shift isn't allowed anymore but you know um changes in the uh, uh, changes in the in the in the batting lineup what pitches the pitcher should be pitching those kinds of things being decided um almost as a sample by uh by artificial intelligence and kind of pitting that against the traditional baseball minds and something like that. I think that would be fascinating, like really, really cool to watch, um, both in its success and its, and, 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 and the abject failure that is bound to happen in that, in that scenario. Right. But kind of how it improves over time will be a, a very interesting, um, very interesting one. I'm sure there are applications that I haven't thought of in sort of, I don't want to denigrate chess and backgammon, but in more physical sports, um, and certainly data and artificial intelligence applies a lot to, to um, in, in the decision-making processes, but I'm talking about purely the decision is made 100% by that. Anyhow, uh, this is a topic that we could go on for hours on, uh, but we have hit the hour that we had allocated. So... Uh
us uh, for giving us your precious time. Um, if you like what you hear, make sure to like and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, give us a review. Um, go to our website, sportsloft.co, and sign up for our newsletter. And make sure to follow us on socials at SportsLoftHQ. All that remains is to say a huge thank you to our three guests for the fascinating conversation. Uh, Jamie, welcome to SportsLoft, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Fantastic time. Uh, Donnie, welcome. Uh, not welcome. Thank you for joining us again on the SportsLoft podcast. It's uh, it's always great to have you on. Thank you. I'm still getting over charging appropriate <laughs> comments. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll make sure not to have Charlie on with you again going forward. I think that's the the Triggered. least we can do. And Charlie, thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, anytime. It's uh, it's great to have uh, somebody representing Wolverhampton uh, and uh, and the Midlands. So uh, all that remains is to say a big thank you to our listeners once again, and to say see you next time in the sports loft. Goodbye. <laughs>